Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Good Grief. My name is Dr. Christine Malone, and in this podcast, we talk about trauma, tragedy, and survival. In each episode, I will interview someone that has gone through grief in some way, and we will discuss the impact it has had on their life. By sharing these stories, we hope that others won't feel alone should they be going through similar situations. Enjoy. Okay, listeners, thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. My guest today is going to talk about his liver transplant survival journey. So guest, if you would introduce yourself and tell us a bit about, you know, how your journey has started with the liver transplant. Sure. My name is John Hoffman. I'm 41 years old. Um, my diagnosis was uh, at six weeks old, I was a baby, uh, was biliary atresia, which uh, affects uh, one in 10 to 15,000 births in the U.S., so um, it's pretty rare, and uh, they really don't have, uh, you know, a source for it yet. They don't know what causes it. So it's diagnosed at six weeks. Um, they do exploratory surgery to kind of, you know, first make sure that's that's what it is, and then um, the biggest uh, the biggest option after that, after, before a transplant, is something called a Kasai procedure, where they go in and they. Um, they remove the da- or they try to remove the damaged bile ducts and they and they replace it with pieces of, of the child's intestine, which you know it has a varying success rate. Um, unfortunately, my Kasai pre- procedure did not did not work. It, it failed after not very long. So I, I was put on the list for a liver transplant, which I received uh, January fourteenth of nineteen eighty three. So I was I was thirteen months old. Um, <clears throat> aside from taking anti-rejection medicines and, and some complications after transplant, um, I grew up as pretty much a, a normal kid. Uh, I love sports and, um, you know, just getting outside in general. Uh, the big difference from with me from other kids was, first of all, I, I took quite a few medications. Um, uh, the anti-rejection drug back then for me was cyclosporin. Uh, it was kind of an olive oil consistency, if you will. Uh, and my mom used to mix it with apple juice or chocolate milk and give it to me in a shot glass. So that was kind of that was kind of uh, it didn't it didn't dawn on me in the time, but when I look back on it, it's kind of funny. So, so you, and then uh, go you, ahead. Like, even any like physical things you couldn't do or anything like that. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, medication. I I was told I couldn't do contact sports, which. I wasn't really inclined to ever want to play, you know, football or hockey, so that wasn't too big a deal. Uh, my heart was crushed uh, when I was in second grade, and we had a, a, a class pet parakeet, and I was told by my liver doctor that I could absolutely not have one. <laughs> so, that was pretty devastating for me, but nothing, nothing major. Other than that, and I didn't really have any limitations. Why couldn't you have the parakeet? Was it something like that? <laughs> yeah, they carry some kind of diseases. Okay, okay. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's right. very dangerous to immunocompromised patients. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so you went on for how many years with that first liver where everything was right. okay? How, how, do, how did that all transpire? Yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, overall, my, my liver numbers were good. I had some, you know, elevation here and there, but, but nothing to be concerned about until um, fourth grade. So I was, what, 10? And um, I started to, my numbers started to kind of shoot up. And that was, that was the first sign of, of some trouble. Um, I spent at least a week in the hospital, you know, getting bolused with with the anti-rejection medicine and this and that to to bring that down. 
And that's when the rumblings kind of started about, yeah, you could possibly, you know, it's not a definite yet, but you might possibly need another transplant, um, which for me was kind of bizarre because I didn't experience the first one. So that was kind of an out there thing that, you know, could happen. Uh, and then the, the next major occurrence was when I was in seventh grade, when I was in junior high. And again, you know, I, I got some jaundice. I didn't, I didn't feel really bad. I just knew that something was, you know, was not right. And again, my liver numbers shot up. I spent some time in the hospital and that's when the conversations really got serious. Um, freshman year of high school, I went, I flew to Pittsburgh for a transplant evaluation. So that's when everything kind of became real. Um, they did a great job of explaining, you know, what to expect. You know, they, they had slideshows of, of the different, the different tubes and things I'd be hooked up with, what kind of medicines I'd be taking afterwards. So it, it was, it was a real reality check. They, um, because I was of a certain age and could understand what was going on, I actually had to sign uh, a compliance form, you know, something that says, Hey, this is, this is your chance. You know, if you, if you damage this liver, you're, you're not getting another one to that effect. So again, that was something very serious and kind of jolted me um so does it give you a list of what what things you would damage the liver i mean i'm I'm, I'm thinking of things that yeah I'm... it was more like you know heavy drinking smoking things like that things that you know would have an obvious effect on your body and and more specifically the liver so um, i i honestly couldn't remember but i got the gist <laughs> yeah so I mean, when they say to you if you if you break these rules and it doesn't work out, you can't be on the transplant list again. I mean, did they really? Yeah, it's. I think it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I again, I couldn't tell you if it was black and white or not, but it was certainly um, certainly a, a pretty stern warning. I, I don't know what the rules are, you know, regarding this. I mean, I'm sure it happens, but it certainly makes it a lot harder to get on the list and get a transplant. Well, it makes sense, and I don't know the numbers, you probably do, of how many people are on the transplant list and how many livers come available. So obviously, healthcare professionals want to make sure that those people who are going Absolutely. to have the best outcome are be the ones we give these these organs to. So well, yeah, and 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 there there weren't any living donors yet. So you know it was it was it was something that you know someone had to be sacrificed in order to do okay. it. So we wanted to make sure you were you were, you know, quote unquote worthy. Right. Excellent point. Excellent point. So you got the second transplant year in high school? Uh, yeah, it was my summer before my senior year. So it was in, it was July 1st of 99. Um, I was a, I was a band, I was a musician. So my big goal was I wanted to get ready for, for band practice in, in late August. So that was kind of my driving force. I wanted to, I wanted to get back on the field. I wanted to See, I was very different than what I am today. I did not want to share a lot of information. I didn't want kids to know that he's got a bum liver or, you know, he takes a lot of medication or whatever. I just, I didn't want to be defined by that. I just kind of wanted to to blend in and be one of the, one of the guys and one of the students and, and, and just move about my life. So I think that's pretty darn normal for a high school kid, for sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, that could be the case with anybody, really. You don't want to stand out as being different right. from someone else. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, no, that's so you still have that liver, I'm assuming. And yes. everything's going well. Yes, everything's great. Um, the big concern 
with with uh, immunosuppressants, specifically liver anti-rejection medicines, is damage to the kidneys. So they keep a very close watch on my levels, you know, how much I'm taking, how much it's called tacrolimus or prograph, uh, how much is in the blood and how much is, you know. So I also see a kidney specialist to make sure everything's, you know, we're on top of that. And I take pretty much the lowest dose you can. I take one milligram twice a day. So it's pretty much as low as it can be. I mean, if I get blood work and the, the tacrolimus level is a little low, they might increase it a tad, you know, they just kind of play with it a little bit, but luckily I, I haven't had a change in a while so yeah so basically your life is not much different than any other person other than you take a medication a couple correct times. yeah right and, yep. and your limitations aren't really i mean obviously you're not, we don't become a heavy drinker but <laughs> right you know other than that not really in any um physical limitations that you have right on on that level so that's well and the and the yeah and the drinking thing was a big deal when i was in high school and i was in college because that's what um, everybody was doing and and there was that nobody tried to force it on me but it was just the peer pressure that i couldn't do it and you know it's and you didn't I, again that. felt kind of like an outcast in that yeah. way and you didn't want to tell them why because you didn't want to tell them your whole story right so, like, exactly you know, I, I, yeah no I, I i i hear that from that perspective that's for sure so yeah so as you've obviously gotten from high school to where you are now, um, what, you know, is there anything different about your life that um, you think is, you know, you've given up something or you've lost out on something, anything like that? Well, let me tell you, um, for a high school kid, supposed, supposed to be getting ready for college, it was certainly a very large distraction. So I did not, I did not, I wasn't prepared for the college experience. Uh, I never picked a major. I fought it the whole way, you know, filling out the the financial aid packets and the you know all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I was I was heading toward this this roadblock, and I, I never actually looked on the other side. So, you know, I got my transplant. I'm healthier than I've ever been in my life, but you know, I didn't really have any direction, and that's kind of where the the struggle started. You know, somebody gave their life for me and here I am. I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. And I'm, you know, I, I, I spent a semester and a half in college and, and dropped out because I just had no idea what I was doing. I felt so different from everybody. And, and I got diagnosed with depression and you know, I started seeing a therapist and eventually, you know, learned to, to, to love myself and to, and to, and to move on and, and get a job and, and have a family, but you know, that's, that's kind of, I don't want to say plagued me, but that's certainly been, you know, something I, I carried ever since. And, you know, I always feel guilty again for, you know, cause certainly the donor families gave up a lot more and, and, and their struggle obviously is real and it's very traumatic, but at the same time, there, there's something to be said about survivor's guilt. And, and that's definitely what, what, what led to the depression and other things. That actually is an excellent um, point. I had never thought of. Um, I know yeah. those of us who've um, you know survived thing, other things in life where we we survived and someone else didn't. Mm -hmm. Guilt builds that guilt. I haven't really thought about um, for someone who receives a organ from someone who died and mm -hmm. um, donated. I can imagine the families though feel uh, you know some solace in that that their loved mm -hmm. ones living on and helping someone else living right. on. I would assume. Well, oh, yeah. And actually, when we were waiting for my second transplant, we had gotten there, you know, I got in my Johnny, I did all that. Um, the donor's family actually 
peeked in and got to see, you know, who was getting the liver and, and that kind of thing. So they had a face to go with, you know, to go with the recipient. Um, and, and back to the point about, you know, the, the guilt add on top of that, the fact that, that I wasn't talking to anybody about it, not even my parents really. And um, there was no social media. You couldn't, you couldn't talk to other people that went through the same kind of stuff. So, so that just kind of compiled everything. Yeah. Uh, do you have any other further contact with that family at all since then? No, no, they, um, they, they told me that, you know, I could send the hospital a letter and then they would get it to the donor. But again, I, I didn't want to think about it. I wanted to move on. And, and yeah. sadly, I, I never really <laughs> gave it a thought you know, thinking yeah. about it now. I, I would have loved to, to do something like that. Yeah, no, I'm just thinking if I was having lost a child, I'm, I'm thinking, how, oh, absolutely. How amazing it would be to be thinking yeah. of living on and, and someone else would be pretty darn amazing. Absolutely. And yeah. you see these stories now of, of of recipients meeting the donor family and how neat that is. And oh, know. you never know. I mean, I, I do have a book and I do have a website. Who knows? Maybe somebody yeah. will find me and, and they'll know. I don't know if they even knew my name at the right. time. I have no idea. But you never know. Well, you never know. They might know the dates and so on. Sure. So, you know, sure. for sure. So, so tell us about your book. So what inspired you to, to um, write the book to begin with and what's in your book and what, who is your audience and so on? Well, it, it didn't come about till I was an adult. And um, again, compiling the, the, the guilt and the, and the trying to figure out how can I, how can I give back? How can I honor this, this, this gift and, and this family? And um, at the time, I was listening to a lot of audiobooks. And it, that was just the thing I was into. And I said, you know what? This, this would make a book. And I could tell my story. And I could, you know, it's obviously targeted at, at either transplant recipients, potential donors, you know, people that are, that are on one side or the other living with, with this kind of event. So, so that was kind of my target. Um, I started it was in 2016, I started, you know, kind of getting an idea of what I wanted to do. And I didn't release it till 2021. So it, it took a long time, a lot of, a lot of interviews with, with family members. Um, at the time, I actually got a job working at the children's hospital where my, my gastroenterologist, my liver doctor still works to this day. So there were a lot of people I, I I always tell this story. I went in with my manager to kind of get a look around at the IT side of the hospital because I already knew, you know, the hospital. And uh, he brought me into one of the morning, you know, the morning huddles, the morning meetings. And he was introducing me and, and no lie, there was a gasp on the other side of the room. And she said, I was your dietitian <laughs> when I was a baby. So that was really cool. So I got to interview her and a couple other nurses that, that were taking care of me when I was a baby. So that just further confirmed that this is what I need to do. Well, that's really cool. I love that story. It was amazing. Yeah. So the, the basis of the book is um, your story. And then right. you include other other stories in there from other people who've, who have done transplants or is just your story in there. Yeah. I mean, it, it's my story from a lot of different perspectives. You know, my parents, my yeah. family members, um, we, I actually got to, to have an interview with one of the, the surgeons who performed the transplant, my second transplant. Um, so you got kind of a medical side, you got the emotional side, and it, you know, it, it, it's really great how it all came together. 
uh, I did a GoFundMe to try to raise money to, to get the book made. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, there's no dramatization. I mean, everything in there, I, I had been hearing these stories from my, my mom mostly, but my aunts and uncles at, at things that happened when I was a baby and so on. And, and now I had this opportunity to kind of put it all together in one place, which was really cool. Yeah, I would imagine so. Have you received any, um, you know, emails, contact, feedback, whatever, for anybody who's read the book? Um, yeah. Yeah. So tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, either through, um, you know, the contact me section on the website or, you know, I've been in obviously I was promoting it pretty heavily when I was releasing it and some of these Facebook groups with, you know, biliary tree or, or liver transplant survivors or people waiting, you know, they said, Oh, I bought one. I loved it. You know, things like that. I got a lot of comments like that, which was, which was pretty neat. Yeah. Kind of give you that, that sense of purpose for Absolutely. not only that, but, you know, telling your story. So um, I'm, I'm curious if you, I mean, the baby having the, you know, transforming your baby, obviously you don't have any feedback on that, but, um, mm -hmm. if you were talking to someone who's facing, you know, um, a diagnosis that's going to cause them to need an organ transplant, you know, mm -hmm. um, what would you say as far as what, what, you know, use this support group, you know, look into this, mm -hmm. don't do this, whatever, what advice might you be able to share? Well, I mean, first of all, they're at the best possible place for transplantation and organ donation. I mean, living donors, partial liver trans or partial organ trans. I mean, it, the list goes on and on. So, you know, take take comfort in the fact that that the science is, is working for you and, and the percentages are excellent and, and the care is great. So that's first of all, um, I, I just searched on Facebook for transplant survivors and, and it's not just liver. I mean, there's lung transplant, heart transplant, kidney transplant so it's it's just it's just a, a multitude of of support and sources to get information to get you know friendship and camaraderie and things like that and then and then lastly i mean you still gotta live you still gotta you know get up every day and find the best in your life and and live it you know i mean yeah. Most likely you're going to survive and your life is going to continue. So you got to make sure that you're, you're doing everything you can to be the best possible person before and after. Yeah. Well, it makes perfect sense. So I'm, I'm curious, I'm, I'm guessing you and your mom have, or your parents have talked about kind of um, when you were a baby and going through mm -hmm. this, you know, was there anything that, um, you know, kind of comes to mind that uh, your parents have shared that, gosh, if I'd known this, we would have done this sooner or, we could have done this or whatever. Um, you know, I, I'm just curious as a parent myself, I, you know, how, how, how do parents survive this when they're, it's their baby who you yeah. know, needs this life-saving major surgery to, you know, keep going? Well, I mean, they were so young when, you know, and, and, and transplantation was still experimental. So there was so much unknown and there weren't any support groups. So I, I think they did the best they could. I mean, it it was a very it was very lonely for them. I mean, obviously, when you go to you go to Pittsburgh, there's other families waiting for transplants, but a lot of those kids were a lot sicker than me. and and it was, I mean, I think my mom went to a few support groups, and she was just sad. It was just really hard to even get through because of all the all the the trauma and the death and and so it was really hard. Um, 
I, I don't think there was anything they could have done differently. I mean, they, they caught it really early. You know, they knew I wasn't gaining weight, took me to the primary who then referred me to, to my liver doctor and, and things continued from there. I don't think they have any regrets in that capacity yeah. other than probably, I mean, nowadays you, you press the doctor for information and they'll give it to you back then. Uh, I don't know how much you know about the world of transplantation, but my first transplant was performed by Dr. Starzl, Thomas Starzl. He's pretty much known as the father of transplantation. He developed a lot of techniques. He was, he was very, very involved in the development of cyclosporin, the first kind of wonder drug for immunosuppression. And he had a very abrupt manner. He'd come in, he'd look at me, he'd do the, do the, the various, you know, vitals, tests and then he'd leave that was it you know there wasn't much communication so that was really hard i mean they knew they were in good hands but there was no bedside manner happening well that and that's you know pre-internet pre exactly you know, all that i know uh, for me um when my middle son was um diagnosed with a with a very devastating diagnosis after he was born i was mm -hmm. Find support groups online of other people oh, yeah. the same thing and that was very very helpful to me as a parent to find other parents who are in the same boat and I don't feel alone. And I, I'm a big supporter of support groups for that purpose. Yeah. And you're able to ask the right questions when it comes time for your, you know, for their exactly. procedures and things exactly. like that. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, how did you deal with this? And how did you do with that? And to not feel not necessarily just alone, but not to feel like a, like, a, like an outsider or a, a freak of one off. It's like, okay, there's other parents out here who are doing yeah. the same thing, which um, especially as you mentioned, your parents were young, um, extremely scary. For that mm -hmm. so yeah I'm, i can imagine the pain that they and the scariness they went through and so. there were no beds and hospital rooms for they to sleep in so they oh. went home every night and they didn't know what would happen when they came in in the morning oh. you know there were times I'd, I'd i'd get pneumonia or something or they'd come in and i'd be gone doing getting some kind of a test and <laughs> oh, gosh. yeah it's just it's a totally different world now it well it is and yet still that 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 oh yeah there's still that unknown absolutely <laughs> yep. still a part of the unknown especially when it's your baby and a tiny little absolutely. baby you know, 13 months getting a, a liver transplant is a big mm -hmm. a big deal so absolutely. tell me about your website and your blog so you have a um the website and the blog and what what's what do you do on there what kind of stuff do you post on there what what who do you focus to yeah i um i started with with you know, I built the website. I started with the blog, you know, the, the year or so leading up to the actual book release when I was writing it. I took I took stories like I told you from, you know, my parents and from other things and and wrote little blog blog posts about them. Um, for instance, one of them was uh, when we actually got the call. And, um, you know, uh, th this is this is my second transplant and they had chartered a flight. And we got on the tarmac and an ambulance roared up and I was able to walk out of the out of the plane and carry my own bag. And they raced with the gurney up to the plane and said, well, where's the patient? And I kind of said, I'm right here. They said, well, you know, we were expecting someone a lot sicker. <laughs> Little did they know that I was that sick, but I didn't I didn't carry myself that way. So things like that and just little anecdotes here and there that, that people can you know, maybe chuckle at, maybe, you know, identify with and things like that. So that was kind of the goal in the beginning. I love your comment about chuckle at, because I know, I know for me, um, you know, kind of making light or having some humor in some of these things, it's like, you know what, that's what life is. And mm -hmm. 
you know, these things happen. And if we can't look at it with a little bit of humor, um, that's, that's, that's a problem. So no, I appreciate that. So well, let me tell you, uh, my mom and I, we, we've developed a great bond because we spent a lot of time. I mean, not to discount my dad, he, he did also, but you know, during the day when I was bored and humor was our, was our medicine. I mean, yeah. we just, there were just a lot of things like, for instance, the hospital TVs had what, maybe six channels and one of them was a movie channel and it showed, I don't know if you've heard of the green card yeah. <laughs> the movie yes. over and over and over. <laughs> we must've watched that thing like eight times and something like that you remember and, and you laugh at even now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I, I think your mom, you and your mom are probably pretty close then. Is what yes, I'm absolutely. That's, that's great. So what do you know? I mean, what, what are the odds that you'll need another liver transplant at some point in time, or is there really no, no, thought about that i mean we don't even know no i mean i've been told that you know this one should be good and 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 my my blood work and my visits with my doctor say the same thing so i i i don't anticipate it but i guess you never know you never know the, the purpose is to stay um positive and exactly yeah exactly so is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners about your journey or um, advice or whatever you'd like to share um, before we go? I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I've been doing some work with the American Liver Foundation, so that's that's a big deal for me. I'm, I'm part of the advocacy team, which is which is made up of, of patients and, and, and doctors and, and you know, oh. prospective transplant recipients. So that's a really neat thing. So, I, you know, people should check that out, their campaigns and what they can do to help. Yeah. So when this, when your episode airs, um, we're definitely going to want to post some links to all that kind of information that you would like to share for anyone who's not only in your situation, but maybe they have their family member is or their coworker is. They just want to mm -hmm. know more about how do I support this person or what should I say or not say, and you know that kind of thing. So you know, I think a lot of a lot of times people when they're, you know, around someone who's dealing with a diagnosis that's kind of a, you know, got to live with this thing, got to, got to survive with this thing. Mm. Uh, we don't know what to say or what to do. And so we don't say anything. And that's right. even more um, of a problem. It's like, no, just, you know, what, what might you say? What might you do? And so I think some of those links can help people really, you know, kind of grasp. Uh, yeah. What, and on that fact, I mean, picture me as a teenager and having teenage friends and, and what yeah. do they do? And yeah. the best thing they did was to treat me like any other person. You know, it was yeah. never really a topic of conversation. It was just, yeah. you know, and, and I still have the same friends now. So, yeah. and one of my friends was my girlfriend and, and we're married yeah. now. And we I'm have three say, kids. Yeah, I'm so. going to say the same is probably true for your parents is treat you like any other normal kid. And not yep, they did. You know, kids they did. And even when I was really, really sick, they... When I was, you know, in, in high school, coming home and, and taking a nap every day after school and waking up for dinner. I mean, they didn't they didn't let on how concerned they were, but you know, they obviously shared with me how worried, how worried yeah. they were. But to treat you as a quote unquote normal kid who's got right. you know, chores or whatever else to do. And have uh, me experience everything that yes. that a normal kid would. Yeah. yeah, which is wonderful. I mean, <laughs> obviously it gets you to where you are today, which is a exactly. you know, yeah, fabulous. All right. Well, John, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you sharing your story. Um, thank you. As I mentioned, we will, we will post some links with to your blog and your book and so on when your episode airs. And I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Good Grief. To hear more about my personal story, please pick up a copy of my book, The Day I Became the Spider Killer, a memoir of trauma, tragedy, and survival, available in paperback, Kindle, and Audible via Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online book retailers.